Good evening. Welcome to our dinner party. We're your hosts, Bree and Leah, and we're so excited to have you for dinner. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the 10th anniversary of one of the best shows in the history of television, NBC's Hannibal. Each week, we'll recap one episode from season one, so we encourage you to revisit the show along with us. If you notice that any of our guests disappear from one week to the next, it would be quite impolite to ask any questions. Please pass the tongue. Actually, no, thank you. I don't want tongue. I don't like tongue. I'm not a picky eater, but tongue is not. not I don't know if I've. I don't know if I've stated this already. I feel like it's had to have come up in the first five we've recorded, but I am a vegetarian. So, <laughs> so neither of us will be eating the tongue. It's all yours, guests. <laughs> so this week we are talking about episode six of season one called Entree. And this episode originally aired on May 2nd, 2013. So we are, we're halfway through the season almost. Each season is 13 episodes. So we're almost halfway through the season. That doesn't surprise me because so much has happened already. Yeah. Yeah. Things are going. I I feel like this is, we were just talking off the pod. We were just talking about how it's another kind of unique element to this show that the pacing of each episode is just so wonderfully done and It's like it gives you just enough each time to crave more, but like feel satisfied. And that's kind of been falling to the wayside because of like streaming and and having batch episodes drop together, you know, but um, yeah, the pacing of the individual episode of television was becoming a lost art pretty quickly with like the binge release model. Uh, I think now that most streamers have moved back to weekly releases, um, except for Netflix, because they're stubborn. <laughs> they can't admit defeat. I'm um, never going to stop beating that dead horse. Yeah, I, I I know. I think that that we're getting better paced individual episodes of television again. It's coming back. But for a while, it was a sad state of affairs. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that even not the fact that it's just all of the episodes released at once, but it's also this idea of how um, like the modern audience has no attention span, which is just not true, but it's like a marketing thing. And I, and I read, I was reading some, some article about, um, I think it was someone from ScreenSpec that actually put like retweeted it or tweeted it and was talking about, um, how oh what show was it oh was it oh i think i know what you're talking about was it that movie with anna de armas and chris evans ghosted on apple tv plus yeah the director wanted to have um like a different opening that called back to an older um movie and the marketing team was basically like no if nothing happens in the first 30 seconds no one's gonna watch yeah people will turn it off (laughs) insulting i know (laughs) I'm really hoping that's not true for the majority household that's watching TV, but... Yeah. No, it's uh. wild. It's wild. And I, I agree with you. I mean, one of the things about Hannibal that still impresses me, I mean, I think it's just obviously a perfect show top to bottom. Um, So everything that we're saying it's doing, it's doing like at peak form, you yeah. know, it's doing the best Full version throttle. of this. Yeah. But I think... Each individual episode has a story arc, right? Which I think the sort of procedural format in this first season helps with that because you kind of have the mystery of the week every episode. But also the way that this uh, show 
portions out the overarching like season long storyline is perfect. Like they give you just enough each week to keep you interested, but it's, you don't feel like they're stalling on you, the writers, but you also don't feel like they're giving you so much too fast to hook you and keep, get you interested. Like it is paced so perfectly. Well, in my opinion, because of, I mean, I agree because (laughs) of the, the nature of the show and how we know from the get-go who Hannibal is and what he's doing. It's part of the the allure for me is the fact that like none of it ever gets withheld from us. We're not trying to like figure anything out. Like we know who's bad and who's not. It's just like watching the drama unfold between the characters, you know? And it's like waiting like to see how much more Will is going to find out each episode. And like that that to me is like the creme de la that's so good yeah and i think that that really comes out in this episode because this episode is about the chesapeake ripper who is a serial killer that has not been caught um who jack has been after for a while but the uh the ripper hasn't been active for a couple years and so they haven't really had any new leads and um it's pretty clear that the Ripper is Hannibal as the viewer, like you figure it out pretty quickly. The Chesapeake Ripper is Hannibal. And so I think this episode really exemplifies what you're saying, where like, there's no guessing about like who the Ripper is. Um, we know that this uh, murderer of the week character is not actually the Chesapeake Ripper, that the real Ripper is Hannibal. And it's, like you said, I love that the show is not withholding that way. And that adds to the enjoyment of the show for me as well, because it doesn't feel like a mystery box or it doesn't feel like the show is trying to trick me or it doesn't feel like it's sort of the mystery yeah. that's no driving the plot. Twist, right. Like that I need to anticipate around the right. corner. Like, which I mean, I don't know. That's, I think that's like a personal preference thing because I just, I hate especially if I'm watching something with someone else and the whole time they're just sitting there trying to like predict where that's going. And I'm just like, shut up and enjoy it, you know? And in this one, they can't do that because right. it is just like, you just have to enjoy it. You know? Well, and I think that the show is so psychological in nature, right? And so it's about what are these characters going to do? How are they going to deal with it? Not what's going to happen. So this episode begins with our quote-unquote murderer of the week um he is he is he is a murderer he is a murderer that's not in question and he does commit another murder at the beginning of this episode so yes and he is already in custody he is in a the baltimore psychiatric hospital for the is it criminally insane Yeah, so it is a prison, but it's like a psychiatric facility. So it's a detention center. It's a prison for especially disturbed inmates, basically. Um, So it's not accommodation, right? It's not just a psychiatric ward or something like that. Like it is a state detention facility. Yeah, there are jail cells. Right, they don't have rooms. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. It's very Silence of the Lambs. Mm. I'm just. I I love when I can make connections like while we're talking like the the one of the interviews we have with Gideon and Alana feels very much like an homage to Clarice and Hannibal and Silence of the Lambs that's beautiful oh my god you just like clicked it into place in my head I love that (laughs) yeah 
So we begin with one this we have uh, a close up of this man lying on the floor of, of a cell. Um you close up on his there's a close up on his face and then you see all of these guards outside of the cell kind of yelling this inmate's name like Well, I think it's because they they think he's he's trying to trick them. They're like he's not actually unconscious. That they're like this is your last chance to put your hands up behind your back kind of thing. They don't actually believe that he's sick sick or dead or unconscious or incapacitated or whatever so they want to make sure he's not just pulling something on them before they go into the cell which kudos on them because usually in shows that that's (laughs) it's just dumb guards charging in you know right right so we see this um inmate his name is uh, dr gideon um, and he's played by Eddie Izzard. And so, uh, for just for our listeners, Eddie Izzard, the actor uses she, her pronouns, but the character of Gideon, um, is referred to with he, him pronouns. So we'll talk about Gideon with those pronouns. But, um, if we talk about Eddie Izzard, we'll use her proper pronouns. Um, so we have Gideon gets taken out of the cell. They put him on a stretcher, um, and take him to this, strangely private room like i don't know where the fuck the guards went but it's just gideon on the stretcher supposedly unconscious what kind of hospital or like room doesn't have any lighting it's so dark it's like a cave i'm like is she operating under candlelight yeah so it's just gideon strapped to the stretcher and this night nurse who is putting the defibrillator pads on gideon's chest she's trying to um resuscitate him um so they must think he's dead or close to dead yeah they never go into how he convinced them but i guess because he's a um he he was a doctor too right yeah so he was or they say doctor in the sh- duh um no but so he was I, a medical doctor because yeah, there are other a, types of doctors yeah true 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 but he was a medical doctor so he probably i guess it's just like implied that he knew how to fool them into thinking that his heart needed to be like maybe he slowed his breathing or i don't know that would take so much skill though i don't know anyway well he had blood on his mouth so the only thing i could think of is that like he maybe he ate something that he knew would make him sick like maybe but how would he get it in there and how would he like be fine immediately when he needed to be fine right i don't know yeah that's never really gone into yeah it doesn't really matter we're just we're going with it perfect you know (laughs) (laughs) it's fantasy it's not real It's it's a tv show exactly so uh Gideon you start to see his hand move like he starts moving his fingers and and as the viewer you're like oh no he's not dead or knocked out or he's he's going well and the nurse put one of those heart monitor clips on his finger too so we're hearing his like um heartbeat on the monitor as well while we see his fingers twitch so we see his fingers twitch then we get a shot of the nurse and she turns around and Gideon is behind her. Well, because it, the the monitor starts flatlining. So she turns around like, oh my God, is he dead? And then he just, he's clearly like unstrapped himself. He's there. Yeah, it went flat because he took the, he took the pulse off, the pulse uh, monitor off. So, so um, then we don't see Gideon kill the night nurse, but we see her body later and we hear about the murder. So we figure what happened. In the next scene, Jack and Will go to visit the psychiatric detention center where the murder happened. And Jack mentions again 
the Chesapeake Ripper. Mm-hmm. And how basically he's bringing Will in because he wants him to confirm or deny that this is the Ripper because of a unsubstantiated claim that Freddie Lowndes made on Tattle Crimes. She somehow it got leaked out and she posted a story about how the Chesapeake Ripper Chesapeake Ripper might have been in custody already. Um, Which is why he hasn't killed in two years, because he's been in custody. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And Jack doesn't like this, obviously. He's like, no, he's not fucking in custody. I would know that. Meanwhile, having fucking dinner with the Chesapeake Ripper, not knowing. (laughs) But yeah. You know, Jack. (laughs) So Jack and Will go to to try and determine if Gideon is, in fact, the Ripper, uh, because this latest uh, victim was killed in a manner extremely similar to the Ripper's M.O. So Will makes such a sad joke, like it's kind of a joke, it's kind of not a joke, and he tells Jack that he doesn't like going into, quote, these types of places, you know, meaning mental hospitals or, you know, things like that. Uh, And he says, you know, he doesn't like going into these types of places uh, because he's worried they won't let him back out. And I'm like, Will, baby! (laughs) That's so sad! Like, I think he's kind of joking, but it's also like, oh, no. I think he's he's saying it. He's saying a genuine feeling that he's having in a humorous manner. I don't think it's necessarily a joke. Yeah. That's why it's so sad, because he's like trying yeah. to pass it off as a joke. But it's like that. That's a clear concern. You're yeah. actually worried. And that, yeah. <laughs> and then it's so sad because Jack's like, I'm not going to let that happen. And then uh, or he said, I'm not going to leave you in here. Don't worry. And then he comes back and he says, not today, and like kind of sighs and walks in. And I'm like, oh, no, baby. I know. It's so sad. It's <laughs> So Jack and Will meet with Dr. Frederick Chilton, who's kind of in charge of the psychiatric services at this place. He's kind of God the head. God knows of- how he got to that point. Is it just because <laughs> no one else wanted the job? Like- <laughs> right. So Chilton is played by Raul Esparza, who is a very well-known and awarded theater actor, mostly. Um, I think he's probably also friends with Brian Fuller because he's been in a lot of his stuff. Yes, he does show up in Brian Fuller's stuff. He was in Pushing Daisies as well. Um, And he's done some screen acting, but he's mostly a Broadway actor. Yeah. (sighs) Chilton, man. (laughs) So... He's disrespectful to Will from the onset, so I was, like, immediately, like, hate him. He treats Will like a curiosity right off the bat, and it's Like, to his face. It's really rude and inappropriate, and it seems like he's doing it to make Will feel bad. I don't... Yeah. He's, like, trying to assert that he's superior to Will in in his mind. He's like, yeah, you would be the one to be studied. I would be the one studying you. Yeah, and and he sa- what he says exactly to Will is he says, because uh, Will says that, or I think it's Jack says, you know, let's go to the crime scene and tells Will, like, you know, so you can do your thing. And uh, Chilton says, oh, yes, that thing you do. You're quite the top, you're quite the topic of conversation in psychiatric circles. That's like, why would you say that to someone and make them feel like a zoo animal? Like, what the fuck? Chilton? And Will's obviously very disturbed by the fact that he's being discussed by psychologists, like, without him being there, you know, like, that's... Right. 
And it shades of Alana's fascination with Will, too. Um, Just kind of more openly uh, disrespectful. Yeah, like, because Alana tries to kind of hide it. But Chilton is, like, clearly using this to make Will uncomfortable. It's not like he's not aware of it's being of having bad manners about it. Like he's doing it on purpose. He's just being a dick. Right. Yeah. So Jack and Will go to the crime scene and Will uh, does his empathetic recreation. We see like Will's reenactment of the crime. And this one I think is really interesting because we do get to see part of the crime happen at the beginning of the episode, right? So we see Gideon go on the stretcher and we see Gideon unstrap himself and and surprise the nurse. And then we see the body directly after. So we know the aftermath of what happened. Right. So when Will starts his sort of empathetic recreation, we see him imagine what happened and it matches up exactly with what we see at the beginning of the episode where we see Will on the stretcher. We see Will in the room with the night nurse. We see Will kind of moving his hand. And this is where we see that what uh, Gideon had done is he had like shoved a key or a lockpick or something inside his skin, underneath his skin. tin of a fork. Okay, yes, yes, yes. It was the tine of a fork that he had. Tine, yeah that he had uh, shoved underneath his skin to like work out and then pick the, um, the handcuff lock. So we see all of that kind of match up exactly with what we saw previously, which we have not seen happen in this show before. We usually don't see the actual crimes happen. We just see Will's imagination, his reimagining of them. So it was interesting to see this sort of confirmation of like, will's correctness of this lead up and it's kind of a blending of the two halves you know like it's everything is kind of merging together yes so then we do get to see will uh quote-unquote commit the murder um so that we do see where as we didn't see um gideon actually kill the night nurse we do get to see will imagining that and he he uses his thumbs to gouge out the nurse's eyes like Oberon style. <laughs> and then- yeah. And it's very um, violent and personal. Um, you know, the, the, all, all of the, or many of the shots um, of Will during this sort of reenactment or reimagining are really low angle shots. So you're sort of aligned with the position of the nurse who's been thrown on the floor and you kind of see Will looming over you. Um, it's very, that's why it's unsettling. Hot. <laughs> and yeah, it is kind of hot too. Um, we'll reserve our actual feelings for the nightcap. <laughs> but yeah, so we see Will's kind of reimagining of the crime. And then we see Will like snap out of it. We get a shot of Will, you know, back at the crime scene, uh, back during the daytime, back in reality. Um, and Will is like visibly shaken this time when he snaps out of it. He's got like tears in his eyes. He looks very stricken. Whereas usually he just looks like he looks, he looks displeased with having to to do these recreations and like it clearly takes something out of him. But this is a step further. Like this is the most distraught we've seen him look like, like it's um, like he's personally witnessing it in like real time. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. He just, he looks 
yeah, like he's not doing okay. And um, you see Jack and... Oh, you see Jack and Chilton kind of behind him a little bit out of focus, and then they come into focus, and... Chilton fucking looming, as always, <laughs> being a little weirdo. <laughs> yeah, so they come into the room, and uh, they are starting to discuss what what Will thinks happened, and, and Jack has this flashback. Um it's the first of several flashbacks in this episode and the flashbacks happen. They look like they're black and white or maybe just like severely, severely desaturated, but you can tell when there's a flashback because the color grading changes and Jack has a goatee. So, you know, that this is a, a different time and place because uh, he's normally clean shaven. Uh, the old hairstyle trick. <laughs> no, no, he has the little thing. He has well, he's got, I guess he's got like the little soul patch, but he has like the full goatee in the flashbacks. And we find out through these flashbacks that Jack has a personal connection to the Ripper case. The last time the Ripper was active two years ago, Jack had put a new recruit um, named Miriam on the case. She, I think, was still in training. She wasn't fully out of training. She's still in classes, but she was like hungry to to help and she really you know had sent multiple letters to jack she's like a go-getter like wants to get out in the field and she was like top of her class had very good grades and jack says to her face that like he just doesn't have enough agents on the case right so he's gonna bring her in on this so this is our first glimpse of miriam it's pretty heavily implied from the beginning that the Ripper killed Miriam. Um, you don't like find out for sure until we get through more of these flashbacks, but it's pretty clear that Jack lost an agent to the Ripper last time the Ripper was active. And when you see this flashback, you're like, oh, it's got to be fresh faced Miriam. Yeah. Well, especially because we haven't heard anything about this agent in the time that we've spent with Jack and Will. So like, clearly she's no longer in the picture. She's like, not around anymore. Yeah. And exactly. it feels like it's because something bad happened. Otherwise Jack wouldn't be so like visibly upset about having these flashbacks, these memories. Right. So this first flashback is him remembering kind of putting Miriam on the case. So then we get a scene with Alana and Will in Chilton's office. And Will is not convinced that Gideon is the Ripper, but he wants to interview Gideon himself and kind of get a better sense. And Alana also wants to interview Gideon. She's interviewed him before. Um, and so she wants to do some further work with him. Uh, so that's what they're there for. Yeah. And then we find out that as well that um, Gideon has killed his his wife and child and that was the murder that kind of got him sent to the um, institution. That's like what got him locked up. And we learn this and like, it's clear from both Jack and Will. And I feel like even the audience is able to tell that that doesn't seem to be anything close to what the Ripper has done. Right. So it yes. feels very out of character for the Ripper to be someone who also had this other kind of crime of passion. Um, and it was very messy. And like, obviously he got caught. So like, they're thinking like the Ripper wouldn't be that reckless, you know? And so everyone's kind of everyone, but Chilton is like, we're not thinking this is the Ripper. Um, and he's like salivating about the idea that he's like (laughs) 
I caught the Ripper. And it's like, <laughs> well, first of all, you weren't the one to catch him. Like, that was still the FBI. Like, they put him in your facility. Like, ugh, it's weird. He's a head case. He's- <laughs> <laughs> so then this next section, we get sort of a cross cut between Will and Alana's interviews of Gideon. Yeah, we can see from both of these interviews that Will and Alana are not buying into Chilton's theory, I guess. Or Gideon's, because Gideon is claiming to be the Ripper. Gideon is saying that he's the Ripper. He's claiming those crimes. Um, And it doesn't seem like Will or Alana really buy that. They're just trying to figure out why Gideon is claiming to be the Ripper now. Mm -hmm. So then we get into... A uh, classic Hannibal unpaid labor moment where (laughs) Jack shows up. It seems like random. He didn't call. He just kind of shows up at the door of his office and is like, basically like therapy me. (laughs) After office hours, Hannibal's leaving to go home and Jack's like, hey, I'm here. And Hannibal's gracious. He's like, yeah, come in. We can chat, whatever. But the best part is Hannibal has his coat in his arms and for like the majority of the conversation, he refuses to put it down because it's like clear that he does not want to stay for this. You know, he's like, <laughs> he could be, he he could be, he's trying to be anywhere else in his head. He's like, God damn it, Jack, I don't have time for you. Um, I just love how this is like, it's kind of like we're finally peeling back the mask a little bit. And it's clear from previous sessions with Hannibal and Will that, um, Hannibal has been trying to kind of isolate Jack and Will from each other and make them like the relationship rocky. So we've been knowing from the beginning that like Hannibal's trying to mess with that. But for the most part, Jack has been like very friend or Hannibal has been very friendly with Jack in like his cold way, but like friendly nonetheless. Pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. And um, obviously like inviting him to dinner, that kind of thing. And here we have kind of Jack being rude, showing up unannounced, which is something only Will is allowed to do. Um, And Hannibal is just like very, very disinterested. And he's giving him very like, he's not putting in a lot of effort in the conversation until about halfway through when he's like resigned himself to like, I guess we're doing this. And so we're, we're kind of seeing Hannibal's real impression, like real feelings for Jack to come to the surface, which is like, clearly doesn't like him. No, he seems very, a little exasperated with him. I think that comes through in this, this scene in a way that it has not before. You're correct. He's usually so good at hiding it, but it's like, he just doesn't even try because I think he's realized at this point that like, even if he does show Jack won't notice because he's so obsessed with his own life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, So he's mm -hmm. like, why right. even put on the Why show? Hide? Yeah. Because he's not going to look. Right. And Jack is obviously very upset about the situation with his wife that we found out about in the last episode. And that's mainly what he wants to talk about. He He's coming to Hannibal to... He wants Hannibal to spill what they talk about in the sessions between um, Bella and, and Hannibal, which is right. like... What the fuck? You can't 
<laughs> like Jack's stated reason is he's like, hey, Hannibal, like, can you give me any information about my wife? Because I know you're treating her. I know she comes here to talk and she won't talk to me. And so this is a, a great scene when Hannibal decides that he has he has professional ethics. And he's like, no, that would violate confidentiality. And it's like, since when do you give a shit about that? And that's well, and what Jack kind of calls him out. Yeah, on it that's what Jack like, says. He's like, he's like, you've been telling me all about Will in your conversations. And he's like, oh, but he's not an official patient of mine. We just chill. Yeah. You know? that, no, that's literally what he says. Hannibal's like, well, Will's not my official patient. We just have conversations. <laughs> um. So. And it's also like, how do you not see Jack? It's so obvious to the rest of us. Like, how do you not see that he's clearly only disclosing censored information that suits his agenda? Like, he's not giving you the whole story about what he talks about with Will. Right. So Hannibal does kind of sit down and let Jack talk a little bit. And Jack talks about, you know, his frustrations and also his fears. And he says that he can't stop thinking about his wife dying. And when when is it going to happen? Is she going to die next to me in this bed? Like, he just can't stop thinking about it. And Hannibal gives his usual, like, his platitudes and whatever. His his psychoanalyst platitudes. He gave, like, pretty – I think it's because the fact that he is so disinterested in trying to to meddle with their relationship because it doesn't mean anything to him. He's, like – he gives kind of, like, the best advice he's given so far (laughs) because he's not being a meddler. He's just like, fuck, I guess I'll just just tell you to fucking talk to your wife, dude. I don't know. And that's basically what he says. He's just like, you need to talk to her. (laughs) I can't tell you anything. She's the one that needs to come to you. Mm-hmm. And like, but he also tells Jack, like, you can't save her. She's she won't let you save her. He says the cancer won't let you save her. I mean, but that's true. He has to face that. You know, I don't necessarily think that's bad advice. Like, it's not. But then classic Hannibal, he's like, oh, can I leverage this for more information? So he says, who else couldn't you save? Ah, yes. And we get another Miriam flashback. So in this flashback, uh, Jack and Miriam are looking over one of the Ripper's victims, and she's kind of theorizing about what kind of person the Ripper might be. She thinks that he might be a surgeon. Um, it's the victim that the crime we saw from the nurse with Gideon is basically replicating. Yes. Because we see we saw the nurse with all of the kind of like surgical tools stuck in her body at random angles. And when we um, are looking at the the body from the flashback between Miriam and Jack, we see a man's body with similar instruments struck in in the exact same areas. Next, after this, we get a scene in the lab, and it's in this lab scene that um, Bev and Zeller and Price are saying, I think it's Price who says it, that the wound pattern on the night nurse, on Gideon's victim, is exactly the same as the wound pattern on the Ripper's last victim, is what he says. But last then Jack confirmed. Last con- yeah. And then Jack corrects him that it wasn't the Ripper's last victim, it was his last confirmed victim, his second to last victim. Um, and, and it becomes increased. Right. It becomes increasingly clear that Miriam was the quote unquote last victim. Um, but they say in this scene that her body was never found. So that's why this one is the last confirmed victim. And it's also clear that um, Price, Seller, and, and Bev all know about 
Jack's sensitivity about Miriam because it seems like they are already kind of like ready to walk on eggshells when he says this because they already knew exactly what he meant and they're like oh yeah Miriam we're sorry sorry and we know about Miriam (laughs) in this scene Will says of of this new victim of Gideon's victim I see the Chesapeake Ripper but I don't feel him and Will is convinced then that that Dr. Gideon is a plagiarist is the word he uses a plagiarist um so Will is pretty certain at this point. He was already certain before, but he outright says it in this scene that he does not believe Gideon is the Chesapeake Ripper. Then we get a scene of Jack in bed at his house, and he gets a freaky call. He hears the phone ring, and you see his alarm clock, and it reads, like, two something in the morning, like, and um, he kind of rolls over to pat the empty spot on the side of his bed, Um, And we've already kind of, we already know that the reason Bella's not there is because she's at some kind of conference for work. He tells Hannibal this when he goes and like bursts in his office earlier. Um, But he, it's, it's kind of a sad moment because you see his like instinct is to like find her and then the bed's empty and you're just like, damn. And he reaches over to the phone and answers and he doesn't immediately recognize the voice on the phone and he's kind of like sitting up and he's like who is this because it's such a stressed woman saying like jack jack and then the woman on the phone is saying like i was wrong i was so wrong and i can't see anything and then the line disconnects well she says it's miriam she says it's miriam i don't know where yeah, i am yeah yeah and um but even before she says miriam like it's clear jack's like he it clicks in his head what this phone call is and um then it like immediately goes to them in the lab again and he's telling everyone about this phone call and they're trying to trace it and bev can't find any kind of trace for any a call she can't find evidence of a call being made to his house at all so they're like did you dream it which is like such a stupid thing to ask jack because like even if you had a reason to think he would be the type of person to like dream up something and think it was real like does his temperament seem like he would be receptive to you saying that to him? <laughs> like, you can't no. just tell someone, like, are you sure you didn't dream that and expect them not to snap at you? But, like, Jack is a bulldog. You want to be killed? Right. And it's Zeller who really keeps kind of pushing this. And, and, uh, it's like Zeller's got balls in this. Like, yeah. Damn. All right. <sighs> it's true. Jack, Jack is giving Zeller withering glares during this scene. <laughs> Seller's just being a dumbass. He's not getting the memo. Just like nothing about Jack's character makes you think that he would be the type of person to let his emotions sway him into saying something about this if he wasn't a hundred percent sure it was real. Right. You know, right. like if he, if he convinced he, himself, yeah. If he was had any kind of worry or concern that it wasn't a real phone call, like he wouldn't have brought it up to them. He would have just like been tormented alone in his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jack says that the voice was a recording of Miriam's last moments. So and he had you, heard it before. Right. That he had heard it before. And he recognized it as the last phone call that he made to her um, when she uh, died, Amazing. he assumed. Yeah. Yeah. And so Will says that this phone call confirms that Gideon isn't the Ripper because Gideon could not have made an untraceable co- phone call from inside of the state facility that he's in. So this absolutely rules out Gideon for being the Ripper in Will's mind. He's like, nah. And then he also kind of 
plants a seed in Jack's head inadvertently because he's like, are you sure it was a recording? Right. And, um, of course, that makes Jack start thinking, like, okay, well, I know it was definitely the recording, but, like, is she alive? Could she be alive? You know? Which is a horrifying thought to have. It is a horrifying thought. Because it's been how many years? Two years. Oof. Two years. And can you imagine someone being, like, trapped by the quote-unquote, like, Chesapeake Ripper? Like, That's almost worse than thinking they're dead. Yeah, like, I would I would rather think of someone, like, a loved one or a friend or someone close to be dead than, like, trapped in a situation like that. Yeah, that's you know? horrific. So it's at this moment where Zeller says again, he point-blank asks Jack if Jack could have dreamed the call, and Jack says, I know when I'm awake. And he gives Zeller, like, the dirtiest death glare. Yeah, um, and Zeller's kind of like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. <laughs> So then we cut from from Jack saying, I know when I'm awake, to Will in his office seeing the stag. It's unclear if he's dreaming or hallucinating or, or what's going on. Um, so just to remind everyone that Will's losing his mind slowly. In case, in case, in case you forgot. <laughs> we want to keep that, keep that in the viewer's mind. Like, he's not doing well. So then Jack shows up to the office and interrupts Will's reverie, and Jack says that he has a plan to provoke the real Ripper into revealing himself. And Will's like, are you sure you want to do that? Like, the Ripper will probably kill again if you do that. Like, are you willing to... Like, the blood will be on their hands. Right. Are you willing to do this knowing that someone's going to die? Yeah. And for some reason, Alana is also, like, down with this plan. Right. Because she's right beside Jack, and she has no objections, and it's like... You were worried about them, like, talking to Abigail in an aggressive tone. I know. And but you're, you're fine with, with this. Like, baiting a murderer into killing again to prove Chilton wrong. Like, yeah. So we have this scene where we have Jack and Alana and Will on one side of Jack's desk. And then we have Freddie Lowndes on the other side. And Jack wants Freddie Lowndes to print a story confirming that Gideon is the Ripper. Hopefully the real Ripper will see this article and uh, reveal himself in some way, uh, probably by killing again. (laughs) I mean, do they think that he's just going to be, like, the Zodiac killer and send out, like, a magazine clipping? Like, hey, guys, you got the wrong guy. (laughs) What about the Chesapeake Ripper makes you think that he would do anything other than just commit another Another murder? murder. (laughs) I know. (sighs) Whatever. So, Will is at his sassy best with Freddy in this uh, scene. And it makes sense because, obviously, there's no love lost between Will and Freddy Lowndes. I mean, the bitch has the audacity to try to shake his hand and greet him cordially after the crap she's pulled. Like, yeah, no. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know who she thinks she is, but yeah, Will does not approve of this plan. He does not approve of Freddie Lowndes, and he and makes it pretty clear. Looks, and and Alana looks at her kind of, um, or Alana looks at Will rejecting the handshake that Freddie's offering him, like, and is kind of like looking disapprovingly, and it's like. You with everything you know about Will, again, it just shows how bad she is with people. Like with <laughs> everything you know about Will, what makes you think that he would like be just like suck it like, up and play typical- nice? Yeah, he, with he Freddy. doesn't. Why would he play nice? Why he doesn't play nice with anybody? Not even you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so Freddie goes to the detention center, has uh, meets with Gideon. She publishes the story. Why does she wear those awful leather gloves? 
I don't know. Inside. Like, I get why she was wearing them when she was in the FBI office because she was in her coat, you know? It looked like she had just come out from outside. But, like, when she's strutting down the hall in the in the psychiatric ward, like, she has, like, just a little sweater on. It's clear. And she just has these, like, crazy leather gloves on. I know. Like, it makes her you... look like either a germaphobe or a dominatrix or, or like, a thief? like, like is she yeah, or like a thief lock? or, like, she's planning a crime. She doesn't want to fingerprints. Yeah. Oh, well, you know what? That makes sense because the last time she was anywhere, she left evidence. So maybe she's like hyper, like, well, she should be wearing her hair in a hairnet. I was going to say, she needs a hairnet, yeah. But I have this in the nightcap section, but since you mentioned Freddie's clothes, can we talk about how awful that sweater is that she's wearing? This like red cheetah print number. It's it horrible. Also, it looks it's like, like it's like, from the discount rack at Forever 21. And it like, hugs whoa. her in all the most unflattering places. Like, she's a beautiful woman. Why would you wear something that atrocious it's like, so ugly it's like one of the most terrible sweaters i've seen so freddie publishes this story and then we cut to hannibal in his office reading this story about how gideon is the chesapeake ripper and he looks so angry but in the most hannibal way like he's still completely controlled he's still completely cold no expression he's not like losing it it's not like a passionate anger it's like this ice cold fury it's like it emanates from him you don't really see any kind of distinguishing emotion emotion on his features it's just like he radiates disapproval and he has like he's kind of like has his hand off to the side and it's you can see how tense he's holding himself. So like this is clearly as much as we're gonna get him showing him like losing quote like quote unquote losing control, you know. And um, the hand acting, I mean, the hand acting is so good in this scene. The just the tension in that hand communicates everything you need to it know sells about it Hannibal's all. feeling. It does. Yeah. It does. Step back, McFadden. Like I know. Get out of here, Oof. Matthew McFadden. <laughs> Mads is the hand acting king. <laughs> I know it's it's just so imp- every every single episode. I'm just more and more impressed with Mads Mikkelsen, and I think his performance gets even better when you watch the show the second time. Yes, because you're picking up on all the things that you now understand with context, like what he's like planning and like the thoughts that he has, and like you you get all of this like just like more context to every single micro expression and it's yeah and i think it's an easy performance to kind of appreciate but not really understand how impressive it is how impressive it is because it's so controlled like there's nothing um like big or flashy about it at all um but oh it's he's working on so many levels it's so good we appreciate it (laughs) i think a lot of people do but you know what i mean like i think you know, well, especially when it first came out, I feel like people kind of just wrote it off as like, oh, he's just going to be kind of like the typical serial killer kind of thing. And it's like, no, there, there's just it's there's so much nuance to his performance. And people are really aware of that now, especially because the show has like a cult following, including us. I mean, we're making a podcast on it, for God's sakes. Like- and I also think like when this series first came out, like his performance was the one that people were really focused on because he his role is the iconic role not not that everyone was focused on hugh dancy not saying that like they weren't paying attention to the other 
characters, but I mean, Hannibal Lecter is an iconic role. Like everyone has seen Anthony Hopkins's version. And so I think a lot of people- There's a lot of comparison. Right. There was a lot of comparison. There was a lot of curiosity about, well, what's this version going to be like? Um, You're coming at it from like the, the like film critic perspective. And I'm over here being like, oh, but all of the like Hannibal nerds were like focused on Will Graham. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Because yeah, that's true. Because there had not been a- an iconic version of Will Graham. No, yet. yeah, there was just not a satisfactory early Hannibal exploration, really, like pre before he gets caught, you know, which is kind of like the whole premise for the show. Like, that's why it got made, because it hadn't been done before. Or hadn't been done well. I mean, because we do we there was the film version of Red Dragon. That well, that was exclusively <laughs> about Red Dragon, though. This is about Hannibal in his serial killing height before he got caught. The Red Dragon was like the final arc of the show, but That's it wasn't true. the most of it. Yeah. You're right. So You're it, right. it really hadn't been done before. Then we get this scene between Jack and Gideon and Jack's interviewing Gideon again. And he's asking him why he's being so forthcoming all of a sudden. Like Jack's flat out asks Dr. Gideon, why now? Or if you really are the Chesapeake Ripper, why are you confessing now? Especially because when he got caught for the the murder of his wife and child that got him sent there, he was very uncooperative with giving them like information then like he didn't spill the details like he was very like, um, silent about everything. And so it's even more suspicious because it's like, if you didn't tell anyone about those, like, why are you suddenly like, a chatty Kathy about your murders, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. So while in this interview, Jack gets another call on his cell phone. Um, he leaves the, uh, it reads home on his screen. Mm-hmm. And so he leaves the interview to go answer this call. He answers the call and thinking it's Bella thinking it's his wife. Yeah. And it's, another call from Miriam. It's the same message. You hear it again. You hear her saying again, Jack, Jack, it's Miriam. I don't know where I am, but I was wrong. I was so wrong. So then we go, we cut to Jack's house and the FBI is there and they're looking for evidence to figure out who made this call. Uh, They find fingerprints. They find... Yeah, Price lifts three distinct prints. Mm-hmm. And it turns out they're Miriam's fingerprints, and they find hair on Jack's pillow, and it's Miriam's hair. Um, And so now Jack is really freaking out. He's like, what? Especially because now he's starting to think maybe she's still alive. Um, And we have another flashback, and we see this uh, conversation between Jack and Miriam about Miriam going through private medical records to find leads because she believes that the Chesapeake Ripper was a surgeon or is a surgeon, potentially still practicing. And so she wants to uh, look to see if she can find a surgeon who had contact with all of the victims at one point. And Jack's kind of uh, he gives her a dressing down. He's disapproving of this. He's like, this is against the law. Um, back to our doctor-patient conf- confidentiality discussion. <laughs> Which he tried to break yeah. later. And so he says, you know, no, we absolutely can't do this. But then he does kind of a wink-wink thing, like, but if you did it... <laughs> like I, an esteemed agent in charge of the behavioral science 
like criminal unit or whatever, like I would get in trouble if I did this. But like, it's another thing if some trainee did it and got a slap on the wrist, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. And so Miriam's like, well, good, because I already did it. (laughs) And then we get our dinner scene of the week. We get our dinner scene at Hannibal's house. It's Alana and Chilton are over at Hannibal's house and he's serving tongue. I would like to imagine that what happened was Hannibal invited Alana to dinner and Chilton like overheard them talking and was like, oh, I'm coming and like invited himself. (laughs) That would be a Chilton move. And Hannibal just didn't turn it down because he's like, I could probably use this to my advantage. He could use the drama. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, what, what? What havoc can I wreak with these two? I I would imagine that that Hannibal invited Chilton over himself because anything to do with the Ripper, I'm sure Hannibal's like, um, I need to keep an eye on that. So this scene is when we get one of my favorite Hannibal jokes. Um <laughs> when he's he's saying that it's that he's serving lamb and it's lamb tongue and um Chilton has to interrupt his like, like clearly Hannibal does this thing where he wants to show off what he's what he's cooked and like yes. doing his little give the show. chef spiel. Yeah, and before he can, Chilton has to cut in and be obnoxious, obnoxious and like talk about some like he thinks it's like the ancient Romans used to like kill flamingos just to eat their tongues, and it's like no one cares, Chilton, shut up. <laughs> and Hannibal says, "Well, this one was a rather chatty lamb." <laughs> And then he uses that to like be like give a, a veiled threat to Chilton because he's like, you better watch out because your tongue's rather spicy <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. But yeah, I love the chatty lamb uh, comment. I that was a runner up for the podcast title. It, it was a runner up for the podcast title, but then we thought it was too deep of a cut. But we almost called this podcast chatty lambs because it's so cute. <laughs> It's cute and awful. Like, it's my favorite combo. I know, right? So then Hannibal also says it's nice to have an old friend for dinner. So that's that's our actual <laughs> our actual title uh, for, the, uh, for the podcast. So Alana, again, we can really tell in this scene that Alana does not have a lot of respect for Chilton. She suggests that Chilton put the idea in Gideon's mind that he is the Chesapeake Ripper. She sort she of brings asks, up a, a a kind of unethical forbidden technique that psychologists could use called psychic driving. And she's basically like, did you maybe do this like not on purpose? And Right. And- she asks Chilton, did you talk about the, the Ripper's crimes with Gideon prior to Gideon? Did you plant the seed? Right, right. <laughs> And Chilton gets all up in arms. He does. But he says, he was like, yeah, I I did. But like, I don't think I. That was only after I had like. Thought maybe he might be the Ripper. Yeah. 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 Right. And so uh, Alana really seems to believe that Chilton kind of put this in Gideon's head and, and planted that idea. Well, he did. So. Gideon basically, or not Gideon, Chilton basically confirms this with how panicked he reacts to the suggestion. Yes, you know? yes. And I love it. Hannibal jumps in to kind of defend psychic driving, which is basically manipulation. 
is what it is. And uh, so it's what he, he d- he's what he's done and is going to continue to do to Abigail. So right. It's what he's doing to all <laughs> several different characters. In fact, he's like, actually, that's so, my favorite tool of the trade. Yeah. So <laughs> Hannibal hops in and he's like, actually, psychic driving is appropriate in some cases. And uh, Alana's like, oh, really, when? And Hannibal's like, if you're trying to prompt a patient to, you know, remember repressed memories or things like that, you know, it, c- it can be useful. Uh, and so I love Hannibal professionally defending manipulation. So he has this scene later with Chilton, Hannibal and Chilton are in the kitchen getting dessert. And Hannibal is like, it's rather unsubtle because like immediately after the conversation, he's like, Chilton, would you help me in the kitchen with dessert? (laughs) And it's like, Alana's like, clearly she's going to, or maybe she won't because she's been pretty off it lately. But I feel like she would have been like, "Mm, they're going to talk about psychic psychic driving. (laughs) Or they're going to talk about her. Like if I were Alana, I'd be like, you're going to go in the kitchen and talk about me. Um, So everything's about you, Leo's. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. So Hannibal is like lovingly talking about this certain kind of grape. It has, it's, it's a, type of grape that has purple flesh so it's purple on the inside and and he's you know cutting into it very sensually and talking about how amazing this grape is and then then, i'm personally with it because it offends me that when you bite into a grape the inside is a different color (laughs) in the same way that i really hate that the inside of blueberries is like green so chilton then calls the, this certain type of grape. He's like, yeah, it's a grape with nothing to hide. And Hannibal's like, yes. You you played right into my, my, what is, it's literally um a uh, prop. He's like, literally, I had these grapes out as a prop to make you say that. <laughs> He's like, you're getting the metaphor. Perfect. I am the puppet master. <laughs> exactly. So Hannibal tells Chilton that in, in the case of Gideon, he would have tried psychic driving too. And so he's kind of trying to get on Chilton's side by saying, like, yeah, I understand what you did. Like, I get it. He's like, Um, if you would want to talk to anyone about it, like, I would understand why you did what you did. So, like, I would be a good confidant, basically, he's trying to imply. And Hannibal says to Chilton, trust me, I'm much more forgiving of the unorthodox than Dr. Bloom. We know, babe. We know. (laughs) (laughs) We know, Hanny. So... Jack gets another freaky phone call, and the FBI is able to trace where it's from. Because this time it shows up with an actual phone number. It's not blocked or restricted, or it's not showing up as, like, a contact he already has. So Jack uh, hardly even answers the call. Like, he answers it, you hear at the beginning, and then he... He just holds it away from him, because it's just the same recording. He's not going to torment himself again. So the FBI is able to trace where this call is coming from, and they send out a whole team, um, because they're aware it might be an ambush, it might be a trap, because the caller had previously tried to hide... um, their location so the fbi I mean, it reasons, is a trap so right so the fbi reasons well if the caller let us know where the call came from something nasty might be waiting for us so jack and will and bev go inside of this building i don't know what it is it's an abandoned observatory okay so jack and will and i think bev go in so Jack calls the phone number back and you hear the phone ringing and they follow the sound of the phone ringing until they find uh, a dismembered arm. It's just a single arm that's been torn off a body. And it's holding the cell phone. It's a Blackberry. A Blackberry. <laughs> 
I wonder if they were paid for product placement. Um, so Jack seems to recognize the hand and the phone as Miriam's. And so he, he's like, oh, okay, she's dead. That's her arm. That's her phone. Which is crazy because I would think it just, if I was in Jack's shoes, if I was like, had hope that maybe Miriam was alive, even though, again, why is it hope? Because that means she's been trapped. That's a worse option. Um, you would have even more hope when you don't find her whole body, but just a piece of her. But in his head, that seems to be kind of like the final nail in the coffin that makes him realize that like, oh, this was false hope. That she's dead, right? Yeah. But I agree because the, the arm is in pretty decent condition. It does not look like it's been, and it's been decomposing. removed. Like it's a clean cut on the end of the arm. Right. But it doesn't look like it's been decomposing for two years, like the Ripper had to go dig it up from somewhere. So either he's been keeping her whole body frozen somewhere. Or, or just body parts frozen. Right. Or he just cut the arm off and she's alive. Like, I agree with you. I think it's more suspicious and more points more towards the fact that she might be alive rather than like, oh, she's for sure dead. But we definitely know that this is what makes Jack kind of like fully give up hope that she's alive because we immediately go to a scene where Hannibal and Jack are having their own little nightcap. (laughs) And they're sitting by the fireplace and... Yeah, they're sitting by this fireplace and and Jack is talking about how it was... He played kind of right into the Ripper's hands because it seemed like the Ripper was trying to give him hope that uh, Miriam was still alive somehow. And he did feel that hope for a tiny second. And then when he saw the arm, he knew she was dead and he just felt worse than before. And he felt kind of stupid for falling for it and yeah for letting the ripper get into his head yeah and he sort of kind of leads from that into he's talking about hope in general like having hope about miriam maybe being alive still and having hope about his wife you know maybe surviving or not having to die and he's just he's thinking he's kind of conflating the two things a little bit in his head it seems like when he's talking to hannibal about this and saying hope in general is not a good thing and of course Hannibal chooses now to to decide to be an okay friend slash confidant because he's like, no, you can't give up hope, Jack, because your wife has given up. You can't do that. You have to be the one to step up and and have hope. And Jack doesn't seem to think that he can do that. But it's also like ice cold because Hannibal immediately starts like saying basically how sympathetic he is and like how he's sorry to hear about Miriam and that he lost an agent, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, worst case scenario, you have Miriam without an arm trapped somewhere. (laughs) Best case scenario, you killed her two years ago. And you're just sitting there just like asking how he feels about Miriam being gone. (laughs) Like It is so (laughs) cold. It's so cold. So we get one final flashback and it's, as we watch the flashback, it becomes clear that Hannibal's having the flashback. It's not Jack. And we see Miriam come to visit Hannibal in his office. And she's following one of the leads, one of these um, connections that she found in the medical records. And she's asking Hannibal if he remembers this particular patient. 
and um, Hannibal, he's all charm. He's like, oh, I don't really remember that patient, you know, because Hannibal used to be a surgeon before he became a psychiatrist, which they have said before in the show. (laughs) Yeah, they mentioned before in the show, but it comes back again this time. Mm-hmm. And Hannibal's like, well, you know, I don't remember that particular patient, but like I kept detailed journals during that time. Uh, I can go get those for you if that'd be helpful. And Miriam, of course, is like, yeah, that'd be great. Um, so Miriam is kind of waiting around in the office while Hannibal goes up to his the second level of his library wall mm-hmm. to go you get see his him old journals. Climb the ladder. And you hear – well, it's important because you hear the sound of his feet, of his um, shoes kind of, um, like, clapping against the, the rings of the ladder. So you hear him go up and you see him in the background. And then Miriam kind of starts to wander around the office. She looks at the books on the shelf that are downstairs because, of course, he has two layers of books. Yeah. And um, I love how my eye was immediately drawn to one of the books that just had, like, drugs. I saw that one, too. (laughs) So drugs. Like, what is Hamill doing with that book? Like, what? It's probably, like, psychiatric drugs. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, talking about brands and that kind of thing. Um, But she kind of turns away. And then in a fun kind of mirror of the first time Jack shows up to Hannibal's office, she is also drawn to the sketches on a table. So Miriam wanders again like Jack and she wanders over to the table, is drawn to the sketches. She's lifting them up and she pulls one up that is a sketch of, is, is it Saint? I think it's Saint Anthony, the Saint one that Anthony, gets impaled by arrows and becomes a murder. Or no, Saint Sebastian. It is Saint Sebastian. Yeah. Yeah. It's Saint Sebastian with the arrow struck in him, but in the very distinct pattern that the surgical tools were struck in the last victim. So, Miriam kind of like has her her jaw drops and she's like putting it together and you don't hear the footsteps, but you see a blurred image of Hannibal coming down the ladder behind her. And then it cuts to like looking at her back and you see his feet, his car, his, his socked feet, like he's taken off his shoes. Hit to sneak up on her. To sneak up on her. And then he gets behind her and like um starts like strangling her. And it's very, it was, it's a very intimate scene. It's very like he's, it, it doesn't seem as violent as it is mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So you see him choke her and we assume that he killed her. Um, we just see her go slack. We see her go slack. So it's very likely he killed her. But again, we don't see a dead body. Yeah, and it's they've been putting all these other hints, so it's 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 supposed to be up in the air whether or not we don't know if she's alive or not. And so this episode ends with Hannibal just sipping his whiskey next to Jack, cold as ice. So terrifying. So terrifying. I mean, I know that we treat Hannibal like baby girl on this podcast. But, like, he's scary. He's a, he's a little cinnamon <laughs> roll. What are you talking about? You know what? I saw the best explanation of what baby girl means online the other day. And it was... Oh, let me find it. So there is uh, someone I follow on Twitter who runs a lit mag called Wigwag Mag. And um, he's also a teacher. He's an educator. And he teaches teenagers. So he had tweeted... Um, a few weeks ago, a student of mine described a character in the book we were reading as baby girl. And when I asked her what that meant, the entire class ground to a halt for 15 full minutes so she could go off. 
And here's the visual aid she used. Brought it up in two seconds flat. This thing was locked and loaded, I swear. And so it's a Venn diagram. And in the center is baby girl. And the three circles are grown-ass man, pathetic, and homicidal. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yes, that's it. That's baby girl. Well, that's a very that's that's kind of like the the corruption of baby girl because there's also still a large portion of the internet that uses baby girl just to mean like pathetic man in general. Yes, because but like I will Steve say from Stranger Things is also baby girl. <laughs> but I will say every time one of those like which character is baby girl prompts go around on Twitter, it's always the evil one. It's always Hannibal. There are so many people that reply with Hannibal. <laughs> And he is baby girl, so I get it. It's he just is. also Steve Harrington with lip gloss is baby girl. <laughs> there's like <laughs> there's, there's 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 good baby girl, neutral baby girl, and evil baby girl. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> and Steve is good baby girl, and Hannibal is evil baby girl. <laughs> uh, yep. Who's neutral baby girl then? Lee Pace. So. We can't lose sight of the fact that Hannibal is scary as shit. (laughs) Well, and the show doesn't let you because he is scary every episode. We're just delusional. Yeah. So it's time for our nightcap. Oh my god, that was a perfect segue because speaking of delusional, our our first topic to, to bring up in the nightcap is how both of the murders, Will's reimagined murder and Hannibal's, like, alleged murder remembered murder yeah are both like oddly hot they're so hot and i don't know why i felt betrayed by my own brain when i was watching this is it your brain though well mm, this is a hind brain you know like yeah uh yeah yeah no i'm with you though like we both came to this independently i was confessing this to leah off podcast because i wanted to like share my shame and i was gonna be like i feel so terrible because i brought up the the second murder hannibal choking out miriam i brought up how like i was i was like that why was it so sensual like why was it hot and she was like no it was and so was will's murder (laughs) i know and it's true i wrote in my notes about like will's will like will um kind of his imagined reenactment reenactment of the nurse's death yeah, I wrote in my notes, I was like, um, so I wrote my notes, I was like, we see what actually happened at the beginning of the episode with part of the crime, but we only see Will do the brutal murder part, though. And then in parentheses, why is it so sexy? Ahaha. <laughs> <laughs> the ahaha makes it. <laughs> so I'm not lying. This is in my notes. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm glad that we both picked up on it though. Like it, yeah. it, I, I don't. Well, and it's, and it's funny because the previous murders that I've seen Hannibal commit or will like imagine himself doing, um, from the other crime scenes, like they weren't hot to me necessarily. Like I thought that both of the, the, the people are hot still. Right. Obviously. right. That never but it's not away. like they're extra hot doing the murderous thing. Yeah. I, I never like saw them and I never had this reaction to them before. So it's something about the specific way that these were shot, I think really kind of like show off how powerful both of them are. 
or like the capability of being powerful in in the case of Will. And I guess that's, I, I'm guessing I, that's the only thing I can think of. That yeah, it's and, just like our lizard brains are like, whoa. Yeah, strong <laughs> man. Taking control. <laughs> well, that and like you said with Will's reenactment, it's like the camera angles are set up to be like where the one he's straddling kind of thing, you know? So that makes sense about how it's kind of like planted in our head a little bit, you know? Yeah, and I think with the Hannibal scene where he's strangling Miriam, it's like you said, it's such an intimate way for him to kill her. And he kind of has his face in her neck, too. Yeah, he caresses her neck with his nose. Mm-hmm. It's like clearly a it's 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 like it's a, it's a contradiction because he's doing this very aggressive evil act, but he's he looks so like soft and and almost romantic doing it. And it's like, only you, Hanny. Only you, Hanny. Yeah, we we had to confess to that on pod. We also, I think... Is this is this just, like, a confession booth? This is podcast is treated as, like, here's all of our sins. I mean, that's what the nightcap section is for. For just all of our, all the random thoughts that are not appropriate for the main recap. But we, you know, can't keep to ourselves. So, <clears throat> the last thing I think for this nightcap section is that we don't have any Hannibal and Will scenes this week. We do not see them together at all in this episode. The only thing that makes up for that to me is the fact that we get both Hannibal being a sassy bitch to Jack in his own way. And then we also get Will being a sassy bitch to both Freddie and Chilton. It's my favorite scene in this whole episode. Um, when Chilton is kind of giving like a backhanded compliment to Alana saying that like, oh yeah, your, your previous interviews with, with, um, Gideon were moderately helpful, um, <laughs> with my, with my pursuit of like, in, of interviewing him. Right. And, and figuring out he was the Ripper and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And Alana is kind of like, clearly is like, okay, bitch, I get it. And she's like, well, I was happy, happy to help. And then, and then Will is to the side and he looks at her and he goes in like a faux whisper. He's like, moderately. And it's so funny. And it's clear that like Alana's trying to hold back laughter. And yeah, Will is calling of, Chilton out for being like passive aggressive and yeah, stupid. <laughs> which is clearly like not something that's done in these social circles. Like he's been able to get away with this because no one is going to confront him about it because that's impolite. But Will is obviously like, no, I'm that bitch. I'm going to say something. <laughs> and and Chilton looks so caught off guard to being like, like, just like caught out like that. You know, it's so good. That, I think, concludes our discussion of season one, episode six, Entree. So we will be back next week for episode seven, which is titled Sorbet. We can't wait to see you then. And we hope you stick around to hear that one. Yes. Thank you for listening to Friends for Dinner, a Hannibal Recap podcast. Uh, if you want to keep up with what we're doing, you can follow us on social media, um, Twitter and Instagram at Fang Club Pod. We post the updates for this Friends for Dinner podcast there. On Twitter, we use the hashtag Friends for Dinner Pod. So you can also just follow and use that hashtag if you don't want to follow the Fang Club account. So we'll be keeping you updated there. I can't believe we're already basically halfway through the season. Um, I am so excited to get into the back half of the season because yes. shit goes down. Oh, I can't so wait. we hope you stick with us. Thanks for joining. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.